interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good morning. Today is Wednesday, September 6th, and my name is Scott Shera, and boy, do we have a, a great show today. I have a fantastic guest, but before we get started, I want to let everybody know I'm Grace's dad. My name is Scott Shera, and I have become a full-time advocate as a result of Grace's death. Grace's death woke me up to how programmed I was, and as I walked through deprogramming myself, uh, I started this podcast as one of those opportunities to share things with anybody who has ears to hear. So before we get rolling today, I like I do every time, I share some interesting things about grace. And so we're going to first show dad's helper. So Don, can you bring up the picture of grace on the mower? So grace had Down syndrome. A lot of people think that people with Down syndrome really can't do anything, but Grace was involved with everything. And when she mowed lawn, it was quite a gift. You couldn't get her off that mower when she started. And even though she knew how to start it, put it in reverse, everything, when she was on it, she would only go forward. And which meant that at the end of the patches that I would make for her to mow, because she wouldn't go in reverse, what she would end up doing is making these long circles back and uh, to get that last little patch of grass. And so I teased her that, you know, we, she would, she'd spend five gallons of fuel doing the entire lawn and then also five gallons of fuel for that last patch of grass because she wouldn't put it in reverse. But, and she would just grin from ear to ear when I would tease her with that. So one of the things today that we're going to uh, talk about is informed consent and asking questions is our role with informed consent. Of course, the, the doctor has a role too, and our guest is going to walk through that in a great, de a great degree of detail. But I'm going to show you informed consent from a little bit different angle because it's all over the place. So we'll start with uh, the crosswalk. Don, can you bring that, that one up? So this is uh, informed consent with a crosswalk. So Grace's interpretation of this sign is watch out for falling bikes. So we get we even get informed consent when crossing the crosswalk or crossing the street. All right, we'll look at informed consent on the RTV next, Don. So this is, you know, when you look at this one, you think, okay, well, now once I'm in there, this is for my own safety. How do I get out? Because they don't give you the instruction afterward. But you just ride in an RTV and you can't get beyond informed consent. All right. So here's one of my favorite ones. So you got informed consent on the beer bottle label. So if they would just have done this with, with the jab, we'd have a number of ladies who would have had healthy children. All right, then last but not least, this was a funny one that Grace and I found. You can see we have informed consent with eggs. I mean, obviously you can see there's eggs in here, but there's four different references to the reality of eggs. So it's interesting how life is trying to, all these signs protecting us, yet when it comes to our medical care, it seems non-existent. All right, so I'm gonna give a clue to my guest. Uh, I have never had a guest send me a baby picture before, but this guest did. So let's put up 
our guest baby picture, Don. All right. So if anybody can guess this, you get a grand prize. So you can uh, you can send me a note on the Rumble link and see if you guess it ahead of time. But don't cheat. All right. So now we're going to bring in our guest, Dr. Moon. Here she is in real time. Good morning. Good to see you. Good morning. Good to see you as well. <laughs> so uh, was that okay to bring your baby picture in? Sure. It has relevance, actually, right? <laughs> it does. And we're going to talk about that later because... Yeah. Your parents, who are in that picture with you, of course, uh, they they were newcomers to the United States. So we're going to talk about that as one of our questions as we get going. You know, I'm not going to read your bio because the first clip I have is um, Senator Ron Johnson uh, introducing you at his hearing. So he does a great job reading the bio. But what I do want to say, because it is part of everything you do, is that the the views that Dr. Moon shares are her own. She does not speak on the behalf of any past or current institutions with which she has been affiliated. So these are her own views. She's going to talk freely with, with us to educate us. And um, these are her views. So when you and I booked the interview, I, I, I went back to our email and I want to read what you wrote because it's really important for people to get a grip as to how passionate you are in this fight. And you wrote to me, I am 100% plus in this fight, period. Well, it is, I was in it 100% before. And then when this job loss happened, I ramp it up to 1,000%. This war of good versus evil is a massive one. I realize that it is far from over and we are all in this together. We are just getting started. And I agree 100%. I'm 1,000% in this too. We're all in. So I've titled today's program, Why Has Our Healthcare Care System Failed Us? And Dr. Moon explained. So we're going to start by playing the clip that puts you into the national spotlight and ultimately puts you on the literal front lines. So Don, can you play the Ron Johnson clip, please? So I'd like to go to Dr. Renata Moon, who's a board-certified pediatrician. She graduated from Washington University in St. Louis with degrees in biochemistry and medicine, and has actually practiced clinical pediatrics for over 20 years. In her role as cl clinical associate professor of medicine, Dr. Moon has taught countless medical students and residents in medical education programs. Again, Dr. Moon, if you could talk about what you're seeing clinically now versus prior to the vaccine. Yes, thank you, Senator. I saw probably two or three cases of myocarditis prior to 2021 in my entire career. I've practiced for over 20 years, very experienced, lots of, lots of inpatient care as well as clinic work. What I'm seeing now, and so what I've seen and what I directly know about cases of myocarditis, they've gone very high, it's been very high. There's clearly been a massive increase. I would like to, um, if it's okay to show the package. No, no you, you've got the props, yeah, so. Yeah, thank you. I show have the audience uh, what, I, I what a standard package is. Yeah, this is the package insert that Dr. Gortler was referring to, and I, I do think it's important to show. So I've been an advocate of vaccines for my entire career. Um, typically, when you open a box of the vaccine product, there's a vial in it and there's a box, and it has a package insert, and this is an example of one that, um, it's sealed and, you know, honestly, for the most part, we don't always read it because we've already looked at it and, and so it goes in the box with the, stays in the box. Um, but, so when I, we open this package insert, a typical package insert looks like this. So 
has a great deal of information on it in terms of adverse reactions, um, the components of it, uh, and I'll let Dr. Gortler expand on sort of where this comes from in terms of the FDA. Uh, in other words, a lot of information, kind of like your terms of use for your Apple products. That's right. So no, no, there's a lot of information, but we do expect to see this because what, what in the world are we being asked to inject into our nation's children? And that's my question. So a few months ago, I, I looked at the package insert. I pulled it from the box of mRNA product. And, you know, it was sealed just like I'm showing you here. I, I unsealed the box that the entire thing came in. And then I pulled this out. And this is what it looks like. So I'd like to show this to you. It is, sorry about that. It's, um, it's blank. Boom. There it, it is. It says intentionally blank on it. That's the data that pharmacists and physicians are basing on giving the injections outside of mainstream media recommendations. There it is right there. Here's a good question. Why didn't they just print that on a piece of paper the size of a postage stamp? Why all the theater of folding it up into a great big piece of paper like, like that? Why? That, that's, as, as that's, that's, that's what's passing for informed consent. Right, so how am I to get informed consent to parents when I have, this is what I have. I have a government that's telling me that I have to say safe and effective, and if I don't, my license is at threat. Um, how am I to give informed consent to patients? We're seeing an uptick in myocarditis. We're seeing an uptick in adverse reactions. We have trusted these regulatory agencies. I have for my entire career up until now. Something is extremely wrong. Okay, so you know, a lot, I'm going to talk about your job loss in a little bit. Actually, you're going to talk about it, but I want to I want to introduce your job loss with a different uh, different clip. But before that, you had said in this uh, presentation you trusted the system before. So now, what is your level of trust in the system now? And are you still a vaccine advocate? Yeah, you know, 2020 came, and we just we just saw so many ethical principles just, just disappear. And so I, I've been horrified by what I've been seeing. I have not trusted the system the last several years. I don't have faith in much of what is coming, if, if, if anything, honestly, from our regulatory agencies at this point. And, and I did trust them for my entire career. So when I first started practice, it was the late 19, 1990s. And I watched them pull, I don't know if you remember then, but they pulled the rotavirus vaccine off the market. Uh, it was like late 1990s. Um, and they pulled it because they had had less than 100 cases of a rare intestinal problem in kids that had happened around the same time they'd had this, uh, this vaccine. It was actually um, an oral product at that time. And so they pulled it, and, and I thought to myself when they did that, wow, this is great. This is my regulatory agencies. They're doing their job. They're, they're, there's a concern that it might have harmed these, these children. Only 100 cases or fewer across the whole country, and they've, they've removed it from the market. And we didn't see it on the market again for a number of years. And so somewhere between that point where I, I saw them functioning properly and the COVID catastrophe something has clearly gone massively wrong, you know, and that something is very clearly, I think, corruption and a real um, 
a real close relationship between the pharmaceutical companies and the, uh, the regulatory agencies that were tasked to making sure that the products that the pharmaceutical companies are producing are, are safe for the, for the public. Something has gone very wrong. And so my question is just how long has that been going on for? And I, I know people come after me sometimes and they say, well, what is your, you know, I still, I still am not someone who would throw out every product that we've ever used, obviously, in medicine. That would be just as, as crazy as, as saying that they're all, everything's perfectly fine now and there's no problem at all. We need to, I think, look at each product that we have out there carefully at some point and, and review the data and really come and, and take a look at each individual one. Um, because I have seen the benefits of vaccination too. Uh, you know, I, I, colleagues of mine who are older than I am say they used to see meningitis so much more commonly. You know, senior physicians, as I was training, told me they used to see it two or three times a month. And now, you know, since the rollout of the H flu vaccine, and it's not, it's not the flu vaccine, it's a, it's a funny name, but it's actually a bacterial infection that causes meningitis. But since the rollout of that vaccine, for example, we just never saw H flu meningitis. It was extremely, I, I think I had one case in my entire career. And that was in a child who had not been vaccinated. So I'm not ready to throw every single one out, but I do think that we need to have a conversation as a nation and, and really say, okay, how long has this corruption been going on for? And what studies do we actually have that, that demonstrate the safety and the efficacy of these products? So. Well, that's a good challenge. I mean, what studies do we actually have? I mean, I, I'm sure you're familiar with RFK Jr. came out on Joe Rogan and said, yeah. you know, none of these things have ever been, been tested objectively. And yeah. so that really brings into question the whole um, vaccine paradigm and on what was the what is the real goal if you you know and all the way back to 86 when Ronald Reagan signed the uh, the vaccine safety act I don't have the right name of it but you know that gave mm -hmm. a free pass how can you give a free pass to companies for downstream liability that you're you know if people are not accountable what happens I mean the second law of thermodynamics always takes over you know we we have to be held to account. That's just, those are the rules. Those are God's rules. You know, for every choice, there's a consequence. When you take away the consequence for um, any company, what are they going to do? They don't have now, they don't have to be held to account anymore. So anyway, that's my perspective. You can comment further. I'd appreciate it. Yeah, no, that, that law was, you know, the 1986 removing liability from these, uh, for, from these companies, these vaccine makers, I understand why they put it in place initially. They did because these vaccine makers were afraid to make more vaccines because they were afraid they would be held liable and they wouldn't make, you know, what was the point of making a product if they, if they were to be sued every single time they tried to make something. So how would science advance? So I understand why it was put in place, but I think we can all see very clearly now how dangerous that was in the long term uh, setting. And so that was all prior to my even entering medicine. I, I truly entered, and, and so did, I would say, the vast majority of my colleagues believing in these regulatory agencies, believing in our public health uh, systems. And, and, and again, I had a reason to believe that. I saw it with the rotavirus vaccine. I watched them pull it. So they used to act in a different manner. The, the gentleman that you saw speaking at the, um, at the hearing after I opened the, the package insert there, Dr. David Gortler, 
is a very brave whistleblower from one of these public health agencies who has spoken out. And this didn't used to be that way in his career either. This is this has morphed into a system that is now so broken that we clearly have just a the word massive doesn't even do it justice. The the problem that we have. Yeah. We're going to roll into your job loss here. What I want to Don's going to bring up to a screenshot of the of the um, announcement of your job loss, because I want to, and then we're going to show a screenshot of the people who didn't lose their job, because I want, I want everybody to see what the consequence is in this environment we're in. There's a consequence for telling the truth. And it's, it's not good. When you're willing to tell the truth, like Dr. Moon is, there is severe consequences. And yet if you're willing to sell the lie, the consequences are so far the other way, it's almost unbelievable. So first, Don, will you bring up the screenshot? So this is the article. By the way, all these things that we that I show on the screen will be in the show notes. So this is the article announcing your, uh, your job loss. All right, so then let's bring up the next one, Don. I want to spend just a minute walking through. All right, so here you see Blue Cross Blue Shield. This is their incentive to doctors who are family practitioners, also to pediatricians, um, to uh, incentivize them for the jab. And if you do the math, if you scroll down to the bottom, I did the math, assuming that a doctor, I, and you can see where I got the numbers, that a family practitioner has 2,500 patients. And in that period, this quarter, that they were incentivizing the doctor to promote the jab, if he would have gotten 75% of his patients to take the jab in that quarter that Blue Cross was incentivizing him or her, he would have received a $296,000 bonus. So that's what you get for selling the lie. And if you tell the truth, you lose your job. So with that backdrop, I'd like you to share what have you experienced since coming on Ron Johnson's hearing? Yeah, so I went to speak at the Senator Johnson hearing at the request of the Senator. He was asking for different people from different areas of, you know, professional areas in the U.S. to come in and speak. And it was a it was a very long event. It was about three hours long. There were people there representing the insurance company and whistleblowers from the Department of Defense. Uh, and, you know, so my role in that, honestly, was very small. But I, I went as a concerned pediatrician and I went as an individual. And and I'm always very careful to state that I'm not there on behalf of any employer or other entity. But I, I went because it's my obligation to speak about my concerns. And right. so when it came to the COVID-19 shots, you know, clearly the data is is there that you know, it is extremely rare for your otherwise healthy child to die from COVID, extremely rare. And so my question was, as a concerned pediatrician, why are we giving an experimental product to our nation's children when we know it has tragic short-term consequences for some of the children who take it? I'm not saying it's all of them, but for, for some of them, it's tragic. You know, inflammation of the heart and even fatalities linked to this product. And we have no idea what the long-term consequences are. And they have a 99.997% chance of surviving a COVID infection just fine. So my question was just, why are we giving this to them? So I took personal time off of my work uh, the way we've always taken personal time off 
at my medical school. I, I only taught there part time. So the event happened on a day where I don't even teach at the medical school. It's, it's a day that I've always had off from the medical school. And I, I released a, a press release. I gave a press release ahead of the event that very, very carefully said that I'm not here representing any entity. I, I didn't name the name of the school or any other employer for that matter. And so I spoke as a concerned individual and I, I really just said there's an increase in myocarditis. I showed the package insert that you, um, you showed the clip of me showing. And I said, we're being silenced and threatened. And I said, other nations have, you know, stopped giving this product to their young people because they've weighed their pros and cons. And they've, they said, this is, this is too dangerous. And so again, it was a fact finding event. I could get up there and, you know, I could say whatever I'm concerned about, that's what it's about. Right. Right. So I didn't think any more of it afterwards. I did what I thought was my duty as a pediatrician. I'm concerned. And so I went to speak. And again, I've never been anti-vax during my career. I haven't been. I've, I've had patients who certainly have not vaccinated for, for years in my practices. And, and I've been very supportive of them, too. They had the choice to make and they made a choice. And that's fine. Um, but anyway, so I received a memo from the, from the medical school uh, in March, this the event in in Washington D.C. was in December of 2022, and in March of 2023, I received a memo specifically citing that event. And you know, and it was in March, so the event was in December. I remember that. So in March, you received the memo. Yes. Uh huh. Okay, yeah. so they waited three months. Yeah. All right. So I I don't know. You know, I didn't tell them I was going because it wasn't any of. Again, I wasn't representing the school, so why would I tell them I'm going? I'm a right. personal individual. I have the right to speak, especially at the request of a U.S. senator. So it had nothing to do with the school. And um, so in March, I received a memo, and you know it's out there publicly. I, I can't. I'm not going to go over every detail of it. But the the two points that concerned me the most were the fourth and the fifth point. The fourth point, they say they say in the memo that it's their ethical obligation to report the words that I had spoken at the Senator Johnson event to my state medical commission, because I may have spoken misinformation is what the memo says. And the fifth point says that I may no longer be suited to teach medical students because they follow the evidence, implying that I don't. And, and, and I'm, I have been following the evidence. The evidence is what is directly in front of me what I've seen with my own eyes, with what I've heard from friends, co colleagues, you know, I'm very actively caring for patients in the medical world. I know what I'm seeing. And so, yeah. So, and then about three months later, they failed to renew my annual contract with the school. So they effectively terminated me by not renewing my annual contract uh, as a faculty member. What, you know, when I think through what happened to you, you know, what does this mean if doctors can't speak out, you know, not just for the, you know, for their individual patients, if they can't speak out and tell their patients the truth, but, you know, what does it mean for the country? Yeah, that's, and that's I mean, the million dollar question, right? At, at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a very experienced pediatrician. I'm, I've had no actions ever against my medical license. I've had multiple medical licenses in different states, never had lawsuits against me. I trained at a top US medical school. I have every right to speak. 
at, at a fact-finding event held in Washington, D.C. by a U.S. senator. And yet, I'll, I'll let the viewer decide what this means, but it's, it's the million-dollar question. If your physician can't speak, what does that mean for your health care? And further, what message does that send to other to medical students and to other faculty at schools. I'm not, this is not just a one school issue. This is happening across our country. Uh, you, your physicians are being silenced. Now, when it comes to the COVID-19 shots, I've been very clear. I never ordered knowingly, I have to be careful with that word, knowingly. I never knowingly ordered a COVID-19 shot for any of my patients because I was following the evidence. I was following the data and that I think has allowed me to speak more freely than some of my colleagues, because some of my colleagues have ordered this, you know, or recommended this, this shot multiple times. Uh, when it comes to the reimbursement that you showed, I, I find that to be horrifying. Uh, there have been people showing similar reimbursements for, for physicians who ordered traditional childhood vaccines. But I do want to say that I have personally have never seen that. I, I, have never seen that happen in any place where I've been employed. I know they track and they have tracked all of us for how much we prescribe or we order traditional shots. They keep track of that in terms of percentages, but I've never seen, you know, a reimbursement coming back my way about this. I assume that the companies are keeping it. The employers are somehow keeping it because I've always been salaried. And so my salary has stayed the same. I've never taken any, any money like this, but but I do find it horrifying that we're being asked to to push something that really is we really physicians have turned into the mouthpieces for these pharmaceutical companies, right. and nowhere did it become more obvious than when we had this new genetic experimental product, the COVID nineteen shots, that we were obviously being actively uh, asked and and even threatened to promote to our nation. Uh, and threatened with job loss if we didn't, right? That's become increasingly apparent. I, in other talks, have shown documentation. Uh, for example, one colleague, and this has happened to many colleagues, but one colleague where there's a letter that I've shown uh, publicly that um, is redacted, but it, they basically told this colleague that she needed to improve her behavior. And by behavior, they meant she needed to stop having informed consent discussions with families related to the COVID-19 shots. And, and if she didn't do that, if she didn't actively promote the product, then she would lose her job. And she failed to, she, she did everything right. She, she continued to have informed consent discussions with parents and she ultimately was fired from her position uh, over that. But it's all in writing. This is, this is horrific, what's happening. Well, it seems like they don't care anymore. I mean, it's it's they're going to do this at all costs, whether the public knows about it or not, because they've got control of the media. So then the only yeah. way we can get this information out is with podcasts like this and the alternative media. You know, my experience with this goes back when I when I first was became awake to this, you know, not awake enough. Otherwise, Grace would be here. But I was diagnosed with heart disease six and a half years ago. And the doctor wanted me to go on a statin. And instead of doing that, I started researching heart disease to figure out, well, what's going on? Why do I even have this? I mean, I'm healthy. It doesn't make any sense that I have heart disease. So I do the research and I find out, oh, this is, this is why. 
and the statin doesn't make any sense. So the nurse pulled me aside and said, Scott, I'm going to tell you something you're not going to want to hear. And she said, we have to, we have to prescribe the statin. I said, what do you mean you have to? And she said, our Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement rates are dependent on what percentage of our patient population we get to follow the protocols. Now, I was not on Medicare and Medicaid. The CMS standards of care infiltrate all of the, the providers who are accept Medicare and Medicaid patients. So she said, if we have enough people like you who reject the protocols, we have to fire you from our client base to keep our percentages up. So we get the reimbursement rates that the government allows. I mean, so it's been going on way longer than COVID. COVID just exposed this. And now, you know, to have direct payments to doctors, I mean, that's, it's hard to even grasp. I mean, indirectly, they were controlling it before. We, we morphed into it. I mean, when I first started practice in the late 1990s, many of my colleagues, and I had that choice too, many of my colleagues, you know, we, we hung a shingle, as we used to say, right? We hung our name yeah. somewhere and we had our own practice. And then really pretty rapidly during my career, we watched, we watched our, ourselves sell our soul, really. We sold our soul to these larger corporations and American medicine became corporatized. So yes. no longer yes. was I working, no longer as an individual physician was I working for my patient, which we always should be working for that individual patient, and that's it. But we were working now for corporations that were increasingly telling us what to do. And I, I remember very vividly back in the early 2000s, this would have been shortly after I started practice, right? It was about 2004. Um, I remember an employer that I, I then didn't renew my contract with that employer and I left that employer, but they actually had a sit down meeting with all of the physicians and it was entitled how to be a good follower, how to be a good follower. Oh and I remember gosh. sitting at this meeting and thinking, are, are you kidding me? Like we're physicians, aren't we supposed to be the leaders? But this was an employer basically showing us. And the, the topic that day was, about different personality types. And we were to identify which personality type we best fit. And then it had recommendations for how to take our personality type and how to adapt to being told what to do. And that was oh. the whole topic of that. You know, and I, I remember laughing about it at the time. I said, I'm not working for these, this employer any longer. This is ridiculous. But it was a sign of things to come right? A big sign of things to come over the next several decades. And, and then we morphed into where we are today. Well, that is a perfect segue into the next question I have, because the next question is about programming. And so what you're, you're saying is they were trying to program the individuals who are part of the, you know, the corporations are doing the government's bidding now. Our yes. government hasn't, you know, in some cases, they've even crossed the line and come out and said what they're doing. But for the most part, they have the corporations doing their bidding. And yeah. that's part of the programming. This next clip that I'm going to have Don play is Dr. Pierre Corey explaining the the programming that um, the vaccination programming that physicians are under. And then I'm going to come back to you with a, a question related to that to see okay. how much of an influence is that as to why physicians aren't waking up. So go ahead, Don, you can play that clip. Part of that deep study of many aspects of COVID um, were the vaccines. And I do think it's really instructive in order to understand what's being proposed 
and some of the information that you've heard today, I think that COVID lends itself to learning some really, really important lessons. In fact, I would say they're life-changing. They've changed my entire view of medicine, science, and the profession of everything that I've learned in COVID. Let me tell you that before COVID started, I have three daughters. They are fully vaccinated according to the childhood schedule. I am fully vaccinated according to the childhood schedule when I grew up, which as my colleague just mentioned, uh, I was born in 1970. I think I had like 12 or 18 shots. Now we're up to 72, right? So things have changed. I never doubted this supposed scientific truth, which is taught to all medical students, that vaccines are an implicit good and they are the backbone of sound pediatric health and they are backbone of the health of our society. That is a truth or supposedly a truth. It's taught to all medical students. You have an entire specialty of pediatrics with pediatricians around the country who spend essentially most of their day vaccinating, vaccinating, vaccinating because they are true believers that these are effective and safe. So I call that programming. So how much of that programming do you believe is influencing? So that's that's a delusion. So it influences, I think there's hardly any physician speaking out. I mean, you're a rarity, Dr. Corey's a rarity. You know, there's, there's very few who are speaking out. And is the programming, is that a piece of the puzzle, do you think? Yeah, it's, it's part of the, the training. So I 100% agree with Dr. Corey. Dr. Corey and I are the same. We trusted the system. We have taken every vaccine <laughs> that, that we had available to us because we trusted this. And, uh, and then COVID-19 really woke us up to what was happening. And I, I know people are listening and some are like, how could you be that? You know, you're, you're caught up in a system where you have such huge regulatory agencies telling you that they've studied this. And so, you know, you're picturing teams, huge teams of people going through rigorous protocols and doing all the things that, you know, science requires. And then, then you find out from some of these interviews that are coming out, some, some of the interviews I've been watching uh, that I'm sure you've been watching as well, that those studies didn't exist. Right. And, you just it just takes the foundation away from you it's like you know you've been you've been misled and then you've been used as a mouthpiece to to tell parents about products that you know tell them about studies that really again any individual physician can't possibly go back and look at every single study and do every single study you're trusting these big regulatory agencies to do this and so clearly we have a massive problem. Dr. Corey and I fully agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that idea that we've been lied to, um, it is really hard to have that percolate through your head. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm aware of it now, so it's a lot easier. But back at the beginning, after Grace died and you start waking up, I mean, I was not awake. You start waking up to what's going on and you realize, my gosh, I've been lied to. And it's not just a little lie. It's the whole thing. And it's that took a lot of those lies took a couple of weeks to percolate through my head before I could really realize it could be that deep. You know, I, I do want to just make one more comment on programming before we transition, because, you know, God orchestrates events that are unbelievable to me. 
And this last Sunday, an event happened. So this is Labor Day weekend. We went to the um, county fair to watch the demolition derby. We oh. would tend to do that annually with Grace. And yeah. so it was kind of a family tradition. So we went there and the Grace's original pediatrician happened to be sitting behind Cindy and I. And so we say hi and, you know, we, oh, wow. you know, we, we trade particulars, you know, and, you know, but ultimately, you know, we asked him, did you know, Grace is, has died and no. And so we started explaining, he said, Oh, I've seen your billboards. I didn't realize it was great. You're grace. Okay. Cause we have billboards up in the area. So he drives, right. he said, I've seen the billboards. And so she, he started asking questions. How did she die? And so we, we started explaining and he said, well, what day did she die? And we said, well, it was in October of 21. And he says, well, wasn't there some antiviral available then? You know, like uh, remdesivir, something like that. I said, oh. I, so then I asked him, how awake are you relative to COVID? And he said, well, I got all my COVID information from three nurses who work at Appleton Medical Center. And I, I could hardly believe my ears. I mean, he has no clue, absolutely no clue that remdesivir is a killer. Ventilators are a killer. You know, so then we gave him our business card and, and you know, encouraged him to just, just take a look at what's going on. Because, you know, he was not, you know, here's a pediatrician. You know, he's treating 2,500 patients and he has absolutely no clue. I can't grasp that. Yeah, so you have to understand that the propaganda, and again, that the reason for showing my photo, my baby photo at the beginning of this talk was because my family, my parents, legally immigrated to America before I was born, after after they escaped from a communist country. So when I was 11, I went to visit my relatives. All of them still lived behind the communist Iron Curtain. And I was 11, I went to visit them. And I distinctly remember sitting with my grandmother in her apartment, listening to the real news being piped in because everything that they were listening to was propaganda, 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 propaganda. When I was 11, but I, that sticks with you. I remember sitting there and my grandmother kind of shushed me. She said, Shh, we have to listen really quietly because if the neighbors hear us listening to the, it was called the voice of America, Hlas Ameriki. Hlas means voice in Czech. So Hlas Ameriki. And it was the Americans, it was my country piping in the real news to my relatives. I was, I was a proud little 11 year old kid, you know, but my grandma had to shush me because if the neighbors heard her listening to that, she could be in big trouble. You weren't to do that. So propaganda everywhere. And this ties into what our, my colleagues are listening to now. We have, we have media in the medical world that they listen to. And it's full of propaganda, full of propaganda. It's it's a nightmare, but they don't see it just like many people don't seem to see the propaganda in our mainstream media. They're just they're so used to it now that they're just not seeing it for what it is. And so that physician that you were speaking with is is honestly thinking that they're getting the best and the latest news from the medical media. And yet what they're getting is propaganda, propaganda, propaganda. And some of them are doing it intentionally in the sense of just being naive. I had one colleague of mine at a, at a prior clinic who was actually one of our physician leaders, you know, administrative leaders, sent a memo out. And I still have a copy of this email memo. It had a, it had a very strong 
I wouldn't even say it was a recommendation. It was a, it was fact, it was like, you will do this when you're treating your patients. They sent this to the whole clinic, massive clinic. And then it said in the memo, for your reference, I have attached a New York Times article to this email so you can review this medication. The, so the, the medical reference that they cited for, a, for physicians to read was a New York Times article. I, this should, it's just so appalling that you just can't even wrap your head around it. But this physician was serious. They really thought that this was like a great review article coming from the New York Times. Wow. Or how to care for patients. We are so wrapped up in this information, misinformation, um, craziness that's happening right now that everyone is tangled up in it. No, that's that's yeah. right. You know, you and I had the experience of indirectly working together on our Breaking the Oath film. And mm -hmm. I'm going to have Don play a clip of that. And then we're going to because it, it talks about, first of all, the um, your your experience as a pediatrician. But then I transition. I, I haven't put we put two clips together. So it, it brings in your experience uh, and you know your parents experience of fleeing and and then i want to come to the maybe the most important question is that you know right now it seems like we're we're at the point where we have to turn this around or it's going to be too late and i want your comment on that so don can you bring up the poster first so this is the breaking the oath poster all right and then play the clip from breaking the oath and then we'll come back to dr moon but what i have seen has really been quite terrifying to be to be clear about this and and I do want those of you out there who haven't seen anything yet or are not I would ask you are you sure are you sure that all of these colleagues who are speaking out are wrong we are out here we're risking our licenses that we have been threatened we have regulatory agencies coming after many of us for simply asking the question for me in my case it's because I asked the question is this COVID-19 shot safe for children. That's all. My mother is still alive and she has had a lot to say. And uh, she, when she was a young child and through her teenage years growing up under communism, she is very clear. You don't just flee from your country like she did because it's amazing. You don't just flee because communism is this wonderful thing and, and that's why it's okay to leave your whole family behind and your possessions and everything that you've worked hard for. You flee because it's a living hell. And so they fled to come to America because it was so awful. And uh, But while she was growing up under communism, they were taught in high school how to take down a country like ours. Now, they obviously didn't know about social media. They didn't know about uh, the internet in those days, but the foundation of how to take down a nation like ours is what we're seeing play out today. She was taught that you cause disruption and chaos. You create animosity between one group and another. So whatever that group is, it's what's played out in history before. Well, I, of course, agree with that. I mean, now that I'm awake, I see our government system is is oppressive. And, you know, people are not awake to that. But I mean, what, you know, it seems like we are just, we are right on the edge. What is, you know, how do we, you know, are we on that edge? What, how do we turn this thing around? Yeah, it seems like we're too far gone to me, but I, I don't know. I, I'd sure like your perspective. Yeah, we're, we're off a cliff. We really are. And 
Um, the analogy that my mom actually uses, and I love it, is remember those old Roadrunner shows where the yeah. Roadrunner's running and there's nothing, there's no ground beneath the Roadrunner anymore? <laughs> right. That's where we are. You know, are we too far gone? I have to have, I have to be optimistic and say no, because we have many millions of millions and millions of us that understand what's happening. And so, and even in the pediatric world, we have many, many, many colleagues who understand what's happening. Right now, what, what people are lacking is uh, the courage to speak out. Uh, but we have very senior pediatricians who, you know, have actually worked in some of these top organizations, you know, so I don't want to name exactly which ones, but very top organizations administratively who are like, whoa, this is this is not good. People need to wake up very quickly and they are waking up. More people are waking up as this starts to directly affect them. But we have to realize this is this is the future for your children and your grandchildren. If we don't turn this around, just picture the world that they will continue to live in. It's going to get worse and worse. When we have no ability to question, to question the dangers of a product, when we have no liability for these pharmaceutical companies. We have no ability for physicians or anyone else to question these products. When we have mandates that were that were, you know, they mandated people take this under force. We have right. lost all of our ethical principles. All the, and if you lose ethics, you've yeah. lost the foundation of a civilized society. So we have to turn this around. There really is no choice. We can't sit here and say, oh, we're, this is too far gone. We can't fix this. That that's not an answer. That's not an answer because that 100% dooms us to and our, our children and our grandchildren to a future that will just be a living hell. We have to turn this around. And that means everyone has to speak out. Everyone needs to take risks. You need to talk with other people in your place of employment and just take a stand against whatever part you're seeing where, where you work. If, if you work in the healthcare field, you find other like-minded people, you know who they are, and you all need to rise together and take a stand. And if you lose your job, then you lose your job. I, I know it's it's easy for me to say that, but I've done that. It's it's I know it's not easy. I know that you know losing. I lost my pension. I lost my health insurance. I'm trying to figure out how to pay for my Cobra health insurance to get that to continue. I have no health insurance right now because I spoke out. And and again, they came after me not for anything to do with direct patient care but just simply for asking a question at, at an event hosted by a U.S. Senator. We right. all have to fix this. Yeah. Well, you're right. Courage is, you know, they've used fear to squash courage. Yeah. And then um, if people don't have roots, I want to go on a little bit of a tangent here. If they don't have roots, then you can't stand on anything. I had a 66-year-old nurse who I talked with about four or five months ago now. And the reason I talked with her is because she was critical of me speaking out. So a reporter wrote an article on Grace's story early on. She contacted the reporter and said to the reporter that I was lying. Mm -hmm. And specifically about the illegal do not resuscitate order the doctor put on Grace. Well, then she called the reporter back you know, roughly five months ago and said, uh, he's not lying. I'm the nurse in a hospital where my dad is, and I'm the I'm his power of attorney. And I was reviewing his chart, and the doctor put an illegal do not resuscitate order on my dad. Mm -hmm. And so, I asked the reporter to broker a call with 
with her and I, and she did. And I talked with this nurse and I said, will you come on the radio and podcast with me and speak out because people, people need to know this. And you're, you're right in the hospital. You see it happening. And she said, I can't do that. I'm a year away from retirement and I don't want to lose my job. So, I mean, that is, that is the norm. And if people don't stand up, this thing is going to crash. And, you know, one other thing that I'd like to say, because I, what I see with standing up, I think it's really important to go back to how did this happen? And I, I am absolutely convinced that this happened because of our society rejecting God. And so part of standing on courage is you have to realize we got here through rejection of God. And the only way back is to acknowledge that rejection and repent. And now you have solid ground to stand on. And I, you know, personally, you know, I mean, you know, I'm on the front lines, you're on the front lines. I don't have any fear of speaking out. I'm done with fear. I mean, fear is what is why I brought Grace to the hospital. She's dead because of my fear. And I'm, you know, I, I, I can't talk about this enough. Anyway, thanks for listening to me ramble. <laughs> I, want, I want to switch. No. Go ahead. What you say is, is spot on. I, you know, when you're speaking the truth and you're doing, you're doing, you're doing God's work when you're speaking the truth. And, and that gives us all a lot of strength. Right. And, and I think uh, I'm very sorry about the loss of your daughter. I, I can't imagine. Well, thank you. I mean, I, uh, you know, she's easy to to talk yeah. about because she was so special. Um, yeah. And now, you know, it's gotten way bigger than Grace's death, of course. Yeah. You know, you you did um, you followed a path that just happened last week. So, Don, can you bring up the screenshot of the Children's Health Defense article? All right. So here's the screenshot of uh, the article announcing your lawsuit, joining with. Uh, a few other physicians. So can you talk about the lawsuit and what this attack on free speech at all costs means to our society? Yeah, I can't really get into the details of the lawsuit because it's still before the court uh, system, but the the article explains fairly well. It's, you know, this is a lawsuit um, brought against the Washington Medical Commission for the, uh, really for the they, they issued a, a statement that uh, employers and other people were to follow to report physicians and, and those people who were who are allegedly stating things that are misinformation. So basically, you know, they, they put an all call out to report anyone speaking anything other than the main narrative. And yes. we don't have to go too far back in history to, to realize how terribly dangerous that is. We we have lost our free speech here in America. And when right. you are promoting that loss of free speech, when you have federal and state agencies promoting that loss of free speech, we're in a very particularly dangerous place, right? So the lawsuit is really about that, about our ability to have conversations and to speak and and not to have to follow in lockstep with just one narrative uh, right that has come down. And yeah, I can't really get into too much more detail. No, I, I understand. I mean, we have our legal team is has a little bit different perspective. <laughs> you know, they're telling me go to just keep speaking, Scott, because uh, you know that's the most important thing. You know, a lawsuit. You know, we filed a lawsuit too, as you know. But you know, a lawsuit is a tool. But I I don't want to rest on a lawsuit because we don't know, you know, how far entrenched are these judges? How you know this whole system is. Yeah 
is um, we, we need the public. We need the public. The listener right now is out there thinking, oh, this is horrible. What can I do? I can't do Bingo. anything. But you have to understand you are one of millions and millions and millions of people. And I'm not any more important than you are. I, I'm just happened to be in a position where that was my, you know, this is my vantage point. This was my viewpoint of things. And so I spoke out. We all need to speak out. If it's to tell five neighbors or five friends and to have them tell five neighbors and five friends, that's what your role is. We all have the role to be speaking. I, I was sitting at a restaurant the other night um, and the table next to me was in a heated conversation about this very topic. And I thought that was great. They were, you know, they were talking about how we've lost our freedom. And I mean, they were really upset and they were having a very big discussion. And then one more table joined in adjacent to mine and it turned into this big robust, like that's what we need. Everyone needs yes. to be talking about how wrong this is. And that is your role in this right now. Let your, let your um, elected officials understand how angry you are that this is happening. If you're upset with, uh, you know, the way that your education is being carried out in your state, then you should let those people know as well. Or even in other states, we are the United States of America. So anything that happens, you have a right to weigh in on. We need people to weigh in on what's been happening. We all have talent. So we're yeah. at, you know, whatever those talents are, but just take the individual parent who still has children. So what yeah. can that parent do? Well, you know, obvious you can get your kids out of the school system, start yeah. homeschooling. But as it applies to your interaction with the doctor, you can demand informed consent with everything. If every single parent demanded informed consent with every single thing with their doctor, both for themselves and their kids, I mean, that's enough. And everybody can do that. That's only that's the bare minimum, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm coming from a state, Washington State, where honestly parental rights are just being eroded away, like in huge chunks. I I have families reaching out who have been fired, fired from their pediatric offices. Their whole family was fired. I have a number of these cases because they quote asked too many questions, asked too many questions. I and mean, where in the world have we gone with medical care? You have every right to ask questions. This is the health of your child. You have every right, and not only the right, but the obligation and the responsibility to ask questions, right? So, so keep asking questions. Don't back down. And the mental health of our nation's children right now is in a terrible state. So I say, you know, shore up your own kids' mental health. Be really careful about what they're watching on social media and their cell phones. I, I would advocate for getting rid of it. I, I realize that not everyone can do that, but at least restrict it and limit it. Get them outside, get them, get them playing, get them doing chores. And please try to help some of their friends because their friends may not have parents who are understanding of how dangerous the social media is and all these all these different factors that are playing with the minds of your kids. And our children's mental health has never been worse, never been worse in America than it is now. So, so please help your own children and help those in your community that you can, that you can reach, you know, be that so adult figure. Go ahead. Helps. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah. Well, you had said, okay, so these people say they're getting fired from their doctor's offices for asking questions. All right. So, yeah. so now somebody might say, well, well, boy, I can't ask any questions because I don't, you know, the paradigm has to change. Yes. You know, if, if you are in a, a physician environment where that is not allowed, that is God telling you get out, run. 
That's okay, right. So then where do you run to? What do you, are you aware of what's going on nationally for alternatives where doctors and nurses have checked out and yeah. they're, they're hanging their shingles again? Yep. There's many, many, many new um, practices springing up that, um, you know, you, you'll have to figure it out within your state. I would reach out to your parent groups, reach out to the groups that would know which, which physicians to go to. But there are many physicians out there who do see this and who are just who are not publicly speaking out, but who are taking uh, this into their own hands by by having their own practices, by leaving their employment with these big corporations. And that will be the answer, I think, in, in some part. So find one of those practices, make sure that they will honor your ability to make your own healthcare decisions. You know, that's what we used to do just a few years ago. Um, I do want to leave uh, one before I forget. I do want to say one thing about our freedom of speech, and that is that I, I've given it a lot of thought. Like, how did America just give away our freedom of speech, which is such yes. a core part of our lives as Americans? Without free speech, we have nothing. We have to be free. How did we do that? I really think it came from social media. When you look at like Facebook and those different um, platforms, you know, they had block buttons on there. If you didn't like what someone said, you just blocked them, blocked them, blocked them. And it became so easy. You just blocked people. And they they trained us to, to do that. So we blocked people. And then it was easy to say, oh, well, so-and-so said something that I don't like. So it's fine. They had their speech taken away. No big deal. That's how they. That's how this was done. This was brought in. If you had just come to Americans 20 years ago and said, you know what, all of a sudden you have no free speech, we would have had massive protests in the streets. But this came in gradually through social media. So please don't allow your children to think that's okay. Having discussions, disagreeing with other people, you can do that in a polite way, but you can learn from the other person. The other person can learn from you. That's how we all learn. You know, having just one set narrative that you follow without any dialogue or discussion is always, always dangerous. So don't let them take your free speech. Well, I am, I'm really, I have never heard that before. I'm impressed with that discernment. I think that's, I think that's spot on. Yeah, I know you have another appointment. I'm gonna just do a very short close because I, I shared earlier my thoughts about how we got here. So I'll do a short close. I'm gonna come back to you for the final word. Okay. So as you listen today, you should come to grips with, you've got to prepare. Obviously, you've got to prepare. The first step in preparation is realizing where are we? So, I mean, you heard a lot of truth. You see, okay, this system is corrupt. So the first step in preparation, okay, where are we? Assuming you believe where we're at, there's two mistakes you can make. The first one is failure to prepare. And the second one is relying on your preparations. We rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ because when everything gets peeled away, Jesus and the word of God is the only thing that's going to be left standing. And Jesus came, he died, was buried and rose again on the third day so that we could be reconciled with the father. And ultimately, that is the only thing that matters in the end. And I believe the time is urgent. I believe we're in the days of Noah and there has never been a more urgent time to have courage, speak the truth and be right with God because none of us know the hour. So with that being said, you have the final word. Yeah, I fully agree with you. And it's time to find the courage and you're, you're finding the courage for your children and your grandchildren's future. 
So look, look in the eyes of your children and your grandchildren and you will find the courage right there. It was really a gift to have you on today, Dr. Moon. This was, this was really nice. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was, it was wonderful chatting with you. So. All right. Thank you. Please stand by for further details. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program.